Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. This is Karen Fabian, founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. We're here uh, at episode 83. I'm recording this on June 29th. Um, 2020. I kind of feel like it's a good idea to include the date um, so that when people listen to the podcast, you have a sense of, you know, kind of when this is being recorded. Um, So welcome to the podcast. This is going to be kind of a mixture of of a couple of different things um, rather than what I usually do, which is kind of one common theme throughout the whole podcast. I'm going to cover a couple of, well, three, three different topics and um, it'll be a little bit about anatomy and a little bit about personal development and um, just a couple of different things. So the first thing I want to do is just check in with you. Obviously, you can't, <laughs> you can't respond because I'm just talking to the air here. Um, I want to just check in with you and, and see how you're doing. I, I hope you're doing okay. I know there's a lot going on in the world, in our communities, on a local level, of course, on a national level. And um, I hope you're doing okay. And I hope that um, this time of change is, is one where you're both inspired and motivated to do things to, you know, help move your communities uh, in a positive direction. And along the way, I hope you're taking care of yourself. Um, I hope that you're getting good rest and eating good food, practicing yoga, and looking for opportunities to expand yourself. Um, I know at times like these, you know, even just yesterday I was driving around Boston and I was kind of getting a little bit down when I was looking at all the places that were closed. And um, I think it's helpful at times like these to take a longer term view. And um, I really, I really believe that September and the end of the year are really kind of the next milestones for us in terms of the COVID pandemic and its impact both on business and of course for us as yoga teachers on the studios. Um, Some of you may live in places where studios are open um, with restrictions. I know here in Boston, we're not open. And for all um, predictions that I've seen, uh, yoga studios are gonna be the last thing in the sequence of opening things. Uh, And that is frustrating. Um, And I know that it definitely has a financial impact 
uh, not only for yoga teachers, but for those of you out there who are also getting income from other uh, jobs. Maybe those jobs are not happening. Maybe you lost your job. Um, maybe someone you know has lost their job and they're looking for a job. You know, again, I know these are challenging times. And I guess I just wanted to say, I didn't actually plan on getting into this part. Um, I'm here though, so let's keep going with the thought. Um, because it came to me yesterday as I started to feel down, just this idea of having a longer term view. And, you know, I think right now with everything that's happening with the spikes in the virus, um, I'm optimistic that as people start to change their behaviors because they see the impact of um, bad behavior on their health and the health of people that they know and people that they love, that uh, people will come around and will do the right things and these spikes will begin to abate. And um, again, just looking at the longer term view, you know, September and December as kind of milestones um, for, you know, kind of getting to those points. And in between now and then doing what you can to um, find little uh, moments of enjoyment, you know, whether it's sitting outside and reading a book, you know, doing, doing things that, that feed your soul. So having said that, I want to, um, I want to mention, you know, yesterday, every, every week I, I write a weekly report. And one of the things I do when I write this weekly report is I go to iTunes and I look and see if there are any new reviews on the podcast, because I love to know what you all are thinking about the content. And so reviews are helpful in that way, along with social media posts and emails that, that I get sometimes from people saying, hey, I really like your podcast, or when you mention this, I really learned something and that kind of thing. And there was a review um, posted recently from someone who said uh, something along the lines of, interesting podcast, however, I've never heard so much self-promotion in a podcast. And um, you know, when you see something like that, your, I don't know, I can't speak for you. My first reaction was to react. And then I stepped back um, because I think it's helpful whenever we get, you know, especially as yoga teachers, we're putting ourselves out there when we teach to get feedback. And it can be really, really exhausting if every time you get feedback, you turn it into something really personal and, you know, kind of use a lot of energy in the reaction mode. And so I just took a couple moments to step back and kind of look at it from that person's point of view and just kind of imagining this person listening to my podcast and trying to think about why would this person think that this podcast has a lot of self-promotion. And then I started to think, well, I don't know, maybe this person is listening and thinking when I mention programs that I have and opportunities for teachers to enroll in different programs, maybe they feel like that's a method of self-promotion. And so I can only assume, because I don't know who this person is, they didn't email me, um, so I don't, I don't know who they are. So I can only make an assumption. And um, you know, assumptions aren't good. <laughs> um, but I know when I listen to podcasts, if the host breaks into the podcast and tries to um, and offer something that they're selling that I know what that is. I know that is a commercial, an advertisement, a promotion. So that's my guess about what this person was, um, was referencing. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you my intention in using my podcast platform as an opportunity to share 
offers that I have for yoga teachers. And it is 100% driven by my desire to help you be the best yoga teacher possible. And it's also driven my, by my experience and my experience, not only myself, but in working with teachers who have shared really transformative comments about what has happened for them when they've enrolled in programs that I've offered. And so all of what I do when I come on the podcast here, and I know you're listening, and I know you're here for specific content. Um, however, I do leverage this um, platform as a chance to let you know if you're ready and if you're looking for ways to grow your teaching beyond the free content that I offer, I have opportunities for you. I have offers for you. And as you know, from listening to the podcast, if you've been a listener for a while, my signature program is the Blueprint Learning Program, and I also have a mentorship program. And those are the main things that I offer. They're the main vehicles through which yoga teachers are supported um, in growing to the next level in their teaching. And my approach is 100% based on understanding anatomy and learning how to share it in understandable ways with your students. And what I've seen in myself and what I've seen in other teachers that I've worked with is that when they're able to do that, light bulbs go off, their confidence grows, and as a result, their impact grows. And so all of what I share is coming from a desire to help. And if that comes across as self-promotion, there's not much I can do about that. I don't claim to be the teacher for everyone. <laughs> and I don't claim that my approach is one that will connect with everyone. So I guess I just wanted to let you know that so that as you listen from this point forward, if you find yourself reacting when I mention some of the offers that I have, um, that you might have that backdrop and it might help you understand what my motivation is. Um, so I wanted to start out with talking a little bit about anatomical movements. And I wanted to talk about this because this is really one of the fundamental uh, concepts of anatomy. And it's also a concept that yoga teachers sometimes get tripped up on. And you'll notice it in the cues that they use. And I notice it when I work with teachers in my program and when I teach anatomy in other people's programs, they're 200 hours in terms of the learning curve for teachers around the verbiage connected to anatomical movements. So, you know, just this idea of when we're talking about what, um, if I were to say to you, can you describe a posture where the hip is in extension? And, you know, so I'll just kind of ask you that now and give you a moment to think about it. So think of a pose where the right hip is in extension and think how you would describe that anatomical movement to someone who didn't know what it is. And what I want you to think about is that anatomical movements describe what's happening at the joint. And as a result of what's happening at the joint, the limbs will move. Now, obviously in this case, if I'm talking about the hip, the limb that's going to move is the leg most often what we would reference as the femur, right? Even though the tibia and the fibula are further down the leg, we're, we're most often talking about it in terms of the movement of the femur. So let's take warrior one with the right foot forward and the left leg back. Uh, I could say the left hip is in extension and as a result, the left leg is stepped back behind you. 
Uh, I could also say the left hip is extending, which is a movement in the sagittal plane and hip extension affects the placement of the femur, the movement of the femur, it moves back. Uh, that's another way that I could describe it. So again, just kind of focusing on this idea of the anatomical action is part one, the joint where it occurs from is part two, and the limb that is moving as a result of that anatomical movement is part three. So another example might be um, describe a posture where the shoulders are externally rotating. So here I could say uh, external rotation is a movement in the transverse plane. It's a rotational movement and external rotation of the shoulders is movement at the shoulder joint that rotates the humerus laterally. So it rolls the shoulders open and as a result, the arm bones, in other words, the humerus bones, uh, are rolling out to the side or externally rotating. And so a posture that would have bilateral external rotation of the shoulders is upward dog, uh, is camel pose, um, is interlacing the fingers behind the back and rolling the shoulders into external rotation. And as a result, also squeezing the shoulder blades together. So that's a good example of how I pulled into the description, the impact of external rotation on the shoulders in terms of scapular movement. However, external rotation of the shoulders just is referencing what's happening in the shoulders. It's not talking about what's happening in this with the scapula. Although we have to keep in mind that everything is always connected. So it's going to be really hard for me to externally rotate my shoulders without affecting my scapula. And so in this case, uh, external uh, rotation of the shoulders combines with or also includes adduction of the scapula, which is moving the scapula closer together. Um, another example might be, um, let's talk about flexion of the shoulders. So flexion of the shoulders, let's, let's take uh, a pose like warrior one. So warrior one has shoulder flexion, bilateral shoulder flexion, uh, and shoulder flexion is movement in the sagittal plane uh, where the, in this case, the arm is moving uh, up, up in the air, up to the sky, closer to the head. Those are different ways you can phrase it. And um, so shoulder flexion results in movement of the humerus uh, up in the air, right? And in warrior one, of course, the arms would be up, although shoulder flexion, like all these joint movements, are expressed in a range of motion. So even if I were in warrior one and I were to reach my arms forward, that's shoulder flexion too. It's just not as much shoulder flexion as if I had my arms up in the air. And this is a good example of how sometimes our conversational cues or how sometimes our cues might not actually be on point with what the exact anatomical action is. So if I say, come into warrior one, reach your arms up to the sky, you might think the arms are up, i.e. the arms are extending. Well, again, we can't really describe the movement from the limb. We have to describe the movement from the joint. So even though I'm saying to you, reach your arms up to the sky, or I might even say to you, extend your arms up, 
what's really happening is the shoulders are in flexion. If I cue to the arms, I could say reach up, extend the arms up. Uh, I wouldn't typically in teaching warrior one say flex your shoulders because most people aren't going to know what that means. Um, so I would say something like reach up. However, you know, a yoga teacher who is grounded in understanding anatomy knows that reaching up is essentially shoulder uh, flexion. And um, let's do one more. So what if we said, um, what if we said, let's talk about um, external rotation of the hip. So external rotation of the hip is movement in the transverse plane. It occurs at the hip. It's going to involve rotation of the femur uh, in the hip itself. And the hip is the joint that is the, um, that is comprised of the pelvis and the acetabulum of the pelvis and the head of the femur in that cup, that acetabulum. And that connecting point, that articulation between the head of the femur and the acetabulum of the pelvis is the hip joint. And so when I externally rotate my hip, let's say in warrior two, step your right foot forward and your back uh, left leg is back, my right hip is an external rotation. And so that's movement in a transverse plane where my right femur is rolling open, rolling laterally, externally rotating. Uh, so again, the movement occurs at the joint. The movement is expressed through movement of the limb, in this case, the femur, and the plane of movement is the uh, transverse plane. So that's a good chunk of examples of how to describe the movement. And you, sh um, you should be able to describe these movements in a conversational way um, like I just did. It should be very comfortable for you to talk about it with someone as if they had no anatomical knowledge because that's the basis from which your cues will come. Your ability to distill the complex of anatomy into understandable phrases. And it just, it takes a couple of things. It takes repetition. It takes learning uh, in many different avenues and, um, and sticking with it until you are comfortable talking about it in a conversational way. Uh, so that's a, I wanted to do that piece on anatomy. And then just to let you know, we're not going to go into it today, but um, just to let you know, the, that piece we just covered, this you know, uh, arena of anatomical movements, this whole idea of anatomical movements. That's the basis from which we can then look at what muscles create those movements. It's really hard to start with the muscles if you don't have a good handle on the anatomical movements and you have a hard time explaining the anatomical movements in a conversational way. Once you have that down, it becomes um, a very logical next step to then say, okay, great. So shoulder flexion is this, uh, moving in this plane, moving the limb in this way, what muscles do that? And that work is, is the next level of work. And then you begot, begin to see some patterns. Oh, muscles of flexion are on the front of the body. Muscles of extension are on the back of the body. Uh, muscles of abduction oftentimes are on the side of the body, the lateral aspect of the body. So this is where that all goes. And you know, learning anatomy in this way 
meaning a systematic way where it's building block on building block on building block is the hallmark of my blueprint learning program. I don't start the program by having you look at poses and break them down into the cues. It would be really hard for you to do that without having this underlying fundamental knowledge. So that's why the program presents all the information in the way it does. So if you're feeling like, okay, great, how do I test my knowledge on this kind of stuff? You know, you would go through the anatomical movements and, you know, test yourself. See if you can kind of, you know, talk through it. See, you know, maybe grab somebody in your house and say, hey, do you have a couple minutes I can explain to you what some of these anatomical movements are and see if you can explain it to them and they'll get it and, and will they be able to get it? So that's just a little kind of anatomy piece for you. So the next thing I want to um, talk about on the podcast today is a learning approach for uh, anatomy. And I want, and, and it's not even really specifically for anatomy, it's really for yoga teaching, right? So, you know, pretty much for the most part, when everybody starts their yoga journey, they're most I mean, I think at this point, most everyone is starting with the completion of a 200 hour training. And I want to just make sure that languaging wise, we're all on the same page with what that means. And the reason I bring this up is because many times when I have conversations with teachers via email, um, or even when I do trainings, um, there, there seems to be a bit of confusion around the verbiage. And, and it's not even really about the verbiage. It's really, what is that really allowing me to say about myself as my qualifications. And believe me, this is not about, I don't want it to make it sound like the yoga police are out there. This is just getting the verbiage down, right? So you're, so the conversation we're gonna have now has to do with this idea of looking at your path as a teacher when it comes to your ongoing education from a different lens than what you may be looking at it from now. And, and what I found many teachers look at their yoga training approach from is an hours-based approach. And what I'm gonna present to you here is to look at it a little differently, to look at it rather through the lens of a knowledge gap solution approach. And I'm gonna tell you what that's about. So the first thing I wanna do is just make sure we're all on the same page with verbiage. So when you complete your 200 hour training, your 200 hour training is basically a training that's been um, signed off on. I don't even want to really say endorsed because they don't have a lot of input as to what's being shared, but it's uh, a 200 hour program that has been viewed by Yoga Alliance because the studio that you took the training at has submitted their uh, agenda to Yoga Alliance. And Yoga Alliance has said to that studio, yes, you are providing the 200 hours according to the categories that we hold out as being required as presented in a 200 hour training. And then you take that training and when you're done with that training, you go on the Yoga Alliance website, you indicate you've completed that training and you are listed on the Yoga Alliance website as a registered yoga teacher at the 200 hour level. That doesn't mean you're certified because Yoga Alliance doesn't certify anyone. Certification is something that happens at the level of a teacher, an individual teacher working with an individual teacher in a mentorship way. 
Yoga Alliance doesn't do that. They never meet any of the teachers that go through these programs. These teachers are being trained by all these hundreds of thousands of satellite studios all over the world. And so what Yoga Alliance does is they basically say, okay, we're holding out what the 200 hour agenda should be. All these studios are submitting to us that they're meeting this agenda and then they're training these teachers. And so the best we can do is register them, right? That's the most we can do because we don't really know these teachers and we're just kind of trusting that they're getting the training as per the agenda that was submitted. And so that's why when you go through that process and it's not good or bad, it's just what it is, right? You're a registered yoga teacher and that's not to take away from training you've done. That's not to, I'm not putting any value judgment on it. I'm just explaining how the, um, industry is set up. And the reason I'm doing this is because, again, I'm really surprised at how many times I talk to teachers and they don't understand this part. And it's not their fault. This is, you know, it's still kind of a grassroots industry, even though you may look at it and may think, oh, it's like so organized and there's so many different components. I still, um, I still find that it's kind of run in kind of a grassroots sort of way. So once you're done with that 200 hour training, you may decide that, or you may feel, let's say you're teaching and you feel like, I'm not really feeling it. I'm feeling like I still don't know enough, right? I, I need to know more about this, or I need to know more about that. Or maybe you're not even sure what you need to know more about. All you know is you don't feel so great. You don't feel confident. You don't feel ready, right? These are things I hear from teachers all the time. Who am I to be standing up there teaching? I only had this initial training. So oftentimes what teachers look at is how many more hours can I add to the 200 that I have? And so really what the industry offers then is a 300 hour or a 500 hour. And see, this is where I offer you another alternative. And it's not, again, it's not necessarily to say enroll in one of my programs. I'm simply suggesting to you that rather than being driven by a, a perceived need to get more hours, wouldn't it be a possible reframe to instead look for trainings that fill in what I said before, the knowledge gap that you have, right? Because think about it, because Yoga Alliance has basically said, 200 hours is the basic training. The registered yoga teacher designation you get as a result of taking a 200 hour, that's what you need to be hired by a studio. For the most part, a yoga studio won't not hire you because you're not a 500 hour teacher versus a 200 hour teacher. For the most part, yoga studios are saying you need to be a 200 hour registered teacher. Now, if you are that and you feel you have a knowledge gap and you're not quite sure what it is what most people do is they then just enroll in a 300 or a 500 hour and then at the end of that time and money spent they oftentimes feel the same way i still have a gap so this is why i'm just suggesting to you that you keep an open mind about your growth as a teacher knowing that there are no yoga police, there is no one who's going to say, hey you, how come you don't have a 500 hour? You can't be teaching here for the most part. Now, if you wanna run your own 200 hour trainings, Yoga Alliance has a standard where you need to be a 500 hour teacher. 
to run your own training. However, um, if you're not, you know, going to run your own teacher training and you're teaching, you don't have to get those other hours, right? And so this is where, again, um, it, it seems that the industry has created this perception for teachers and that perception is that the only path is do a 200 hour, do a 300 or 500 hour, and that's the way to go. And I'm here to tell you that's, that's not the only way to go. In fact, in my path, I went outside the yoga industry and got my certification as a personal trainer, not because uh, I wanted to be a personal trainer, but because I wanted to use and leverage their training around anatomy and biomechanics because yoga didn't provide that. Um, I've additionally participated in a 500 hour program. However, the requirements of that program are really, really focused on teachers who are teaching one-on-one -on -one. Um, and the requirements to complete that 500 hour training required hours and hours and hours of working with students privately. I don't do that. My, my teaching career, my teaching path doesn't include a lot of working with students privately. So I didn't feel it was helpful for my training path to complete that program fully uh, in terms of time and money spent because I looked at the end result and I thought that's not really going to get me where I want to go. However, taking the individual trainings are helpful. I'm just not taking them to go through the program so that I can say 500 hour check, right? Because remember, you know, I, the reason I was thinking about this is because someone was saying to me, oh, I'd like to enroll in one of your programs. However, I need to wait until I can get the hours and assign them. I would very much encourage you, and again, this is not about my programs, this is about any program you're thinking of taking. I would highly encourage you to put your needs around learning way before the hours you're going to get that you're going to submit to Yoga Alliance. That should be your secondary concern, in my opinion. Your main goal should be, what do I need to, to fuel my vision of the yoga teacher that I want to be? What do I need? You know, I... I went and worked with a neuroscience coach because I had a lot of head uh, space issues in terms of self-limiting beliefs that were getting in the way of my teaching, right? So, you know, again, looking outside of kind of the standard path, I promise you is going to allow you to access things that will absolutely help you grow as a well-rounded mission-driven, purposeful, confident teacher, much better than simply following this somewhat prescribed path, which can be, can be awesome for teachers when you make good selections based on what you need to know. However, just going from program to program to program isn't always uh, the best solution for every teacher. So I just wanted to kind of mention that, you know, kind of hours-based approach versus a knowledge gap approach. And, you know, again, I, 
obviously teach in different studios. They have 200 hour programs, 500 hour programs. I contribute the anatomy part. I know these programs are excellent. So if you're looking for referrals uh, and you live in my area in the Boston area, I am happy to refer to you um, or refer you to the studios that I work with and the programs that I uh, teach the anatomy as part of, because I know that they're quality programs. Again, everybody's going to be different. And, um, and I just want you to kind of keep in mind, you don't have to be constrained by just one path for your learning. And um, I want to just end today's episode by just bringing up two really common self-limiting beliefs that I hear a lot from teachers. And I just want to call them out into the light <laughs> as a way to kind of loosen their grip on you if these are self-limiting beliefs that you're hearing and feeling. And the first one is, I'm not ready. This is something I hear a lot from teachers. And it's always a little bit of a balance between feeling like you're not ready to teach and doing it anyway. And at the same time, feeling you're not ready to teach, assessing what your knowledge gap is and filling in that knowledge gap. And what I oftentimes, um, well, let me say this, what I would offer to you as a possibility is, would it be possible for you to move forward with whatever it is that you feel you're not ready to do right now? And at the same time, do what you need to do to fill in that knowledge gap. You know, I can certainly say a lot of times what hang, what people get hung up on, and I, I pick up on this when I have my conversations with them, is that they're very binary in their thinking. They, they meaning that they only think there's one way to do something. And I used to do this a lot myself. And in fact, I'd be talking to my dad about a business issue and he'd say, well, what about this? And I think, oh, wow, I never even thought of that because we oftentimes get very pigeonholed into thinking there's only one way to do something. And so again, that feeling of being not ready, there is always an opportunity for us there to move forward, even in the face of feeling that nervousness, of feeling that anxiety, of feeling that fear, right? That's really what it is. It's feeling the fear. And at the same time, doing additional training, like maybe along the lines of what we just talked about, so that you can fill in that knowledge gap. Uh, and, and because the alternative is you do nothing, right? The alternative is you do nothing. You sit in your fear, you know you're not ready or you don't know you're not ready, but that's how you feel. And so nothing gets done. And then you're just sitting there kind of mulling over all of these negative thoughts about not being ready. So I want to just throw that out there in the event that's something that is uh, on your mind. And then the last self-limiting belief that I actually had a conversation about, a conversation about this past week on is this whole idea of like, who am I to be teaching yoga? And the person I was talking to, um, there, there was, a, there was a, a conflict in this person's mind with respect to the age of this person and also a conflict with respect to the ability to cue effectively. Um, cue, and when I say cue effectively, I mean in this person's mind, what they believed to be effective cues was not a skill that they had yet achieved. 
And so a lot of that can start to create uh, this feeling of who am I to be doing this? I don't know how to cue effectively. I don't understand the anatomy. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm too old, you know, to, I'm, I'm, I'm not too old. I'm, I'm older. I'm much older than the, you know, average age of, of yoga teachers that are out there today. And so this again, kind of relates to a little bit to the, I'm not ready deal that I talked about before. It's a little bit different though, because it really gets to this feeling of this is not for me. I am not the kind of person who, and what I would, again, to just offer you another way to look at this is I would say to you, if you're feeling this way, what is inherent in who you are that precludes you from doing this, meaning from teaching yoga, right? What is it? And, and if you, let's say if you do feel, well, I'm in my 60s and most yoga teachers are in their 30s, well, I would then say to you, are there any yoga teachers you can call on that are in their 60s? And I mean, I can certainly tell you that there are many yoga teachers in their 60s. In fact, when you look at kind of that community, not really community, when you look at some of the yoga teachers who have been teaching for many, many years and who've been on the cover of Yoga Journal and Yoga International and who are kind of renowned uh, teachers, these are teachers in their 50s and 60s because they have the experience. And so once you start to say, oh yeah, there are teachers out there in their 60s, then that kind of dispels the power of your perception that you can't because you're too old, right? And so you can kind of do that myth busting with any self-limiting belief that you bring up. One approach to it is to really kind of look for evidence that disproves what you're thinking. And if you look, in most cases, you will find something to disprove it. What's really happening there is it's fear masquerading as a self-limiting belief. And again, as a result, nothing gets done. And so the, the, the real short end of the stick there is what you get. Because again, you're kind of sitting there feeling badly and, and not moving forward. So I would say, you know, if either of these two things are things that you're experiencing, um, take a look, try to do some journaling and see if you can start to dispel some of these self-limited beliefs on your own for looking for evidence out there to the contrary, okay? I've done a lot of work in this way myself and it's been really helpful. So I want to end by letting you know that I mentioned in the past couple episodes that my new um, program that I offer is my practice portal, the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. And I offered it in June um, and it is a full service practice portal where you have live classes, recorded classes, specialty classes, I'm going to start to do some live workshops coming up. I've got meditations in there. It's really one place where you can go to not only learn uh, anatomy, but practice. It's really, it's geared less to be a learning anatomy portal and geared more towards 
practice. Um, for teachers, though, it will be a way for you to learn anatomy-based cues. It will be a way for you to just kind of get inspiration around different sequencing. Uh, I know a lot of teachers are going on YouTube for that. This was one of the motivations that I had around creating the practice portal. I wanted to give you an easier, quicker, one place uh, way to get access to this information. So starting uh, today, June 29th through July, uh, I've dropped the monthly subscription rate to just $9.99. And when you check out the subscription link, you can preview some of the classes because I went in and I made a bunch of them free so that you can just try it out and see what you think. And if you want to subscribe, it's just $9.99. And the link for the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal is right on my homepage, which is barebonesyoga.com. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I would love to hear what you think. Send me an email, write a review on iTunes, comment on my social media pages, Instagram or Facebook, and continue to take care of yourself. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.